The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television shows that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and IGN, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic for IGM, not The Rap, but criticallyacclaimed.net. Damn right. Good for you. Well, I can say the rap technically because I was published once. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works, right? Years ago, but I was published once. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, we're, we, we host this podcast. And we host this podcast. And this podcast. Po- and I said postcast. You did. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should do a pasta cast. A, ooh, a pasta cast would be great. Uh, tonight's episode, Fusilli. We're going to be eating a bunch of orzo tonight ooh. in broth. It's okay. going to be great. This actually sounds great. <laughs> Just eating pasta and talking yeah. about pasta. Mm, I am Italian. Uh, this month on Cancel Too Soon, we've been reviewing nothing but failed television series based on Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch. And we've run a big, wide gamut, and we're not done yet. And in fact, we had another one planned. We're still going to do it. It'll probably end up showing up early in December at this rate. Because we're, we're right at the, the tail end right here. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's the 29th now. Um, so unless we really crank out Silver Surfer, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're not gonna make it. But that's fine. It's our podcast. We make the rules. Um, the month continues apace. Um, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful Patreon subscribers. Uh, every month at patreon.com slash canceled too soon, our subscribers get to vote for one episode that we're going to, re- uh, one, one show for us to review every single month. Mm, that's right. That's how words work. Tripped over them there for a bit. Uh, I, I thought you were a writer. <laughs> I'm a writer, not a talker. That's true. Uh, but yeah, you, mm. our, our patrons get to vote for an episode. Every single month, and this month was a tie, and they were all the nominees were pilot episodes that failed, and we said, screw it, let's do them all. That's right. Three, a three-way tie. So we did Generation X, you can listen to that one already. Mm-hmm. We did Solar Man, I can't believe that one won. <laughs> we really thought no, like it would receive zero votes. Like, no one would care, but everyone heard, stupid robot, we're in! <laughs> Cool. Stupid robot has like such a small part in that too. I know. Bigger part. <laughs> it had a bigger part to play in the comics. Okay. Bigger part to play in the comics. Mm. Uh, and uh, finally, we have uh, one speak, of the most. Speaking of stupid robots, <laughs> we have one of the most notorious entries mm. in Marvel's live action canon. Uh, Generation X has slipped under a lot of radars, uh, but this one, this one, this one has itself a reputation. I mm. think. I think it's a film a lot of people have seen. Uh, it was released as a TV movie, and if the TV movie was a hit, it was intended to potentially launch a new live-action television franchise. Uh, the cats are fighting. <laughs> are we good? Awesome. You should just dress them as, like, arch-nemeses or something. <laughs> Lex like, Luthor and Superman? Yeah, just one is Superman, just the other one is Lex Luthor, and then that way it's just like an epic cosmic battle in your, your living room every day. Are you guys Okay. They're fine. Okay, good. Uh, they, they gave the cat thumbs up. Uh, but anyway, this is David Hasselhoff in Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Just agent, singular. I, I meant to say agent. Yeah. Words bad today. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which yeah. was the name of the comic Nick Fury came from. Well, I guess... Well, originally he was from Nick, Nick Fury's Fury and Helen, Helen Commando. Commandos. Okay, so a bit of history on Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Before the version everyone knows and loves from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, played wonderfully by Samuel L. Jackson... Nick Fury got started as a World War II hero uh, who led a series of howling commandos. Just a bunch of ragtag badasses kicking butt in World War II. Bunch of grizzled guys with five o'clock shadow that spat grenades. And Nick Fury persisted along into the Marvel comic book universe as it became. Uh, He was a contemporary of Captain America. Captain America was frozen in ice and emerged decades later unscathed. Nick Fury 
he took a serum or something. That's why he hasn't aged. Look, it's comic book time. Like, how yeah. old is Spider-Man really? Oh, uh, like actually, he'd be in his seventies. Like, he was if he was if we're going yeah if we're going by his uh, origin in nineteen sixty three. How old was he? He was like seventeen or fifteen. Yeah. No, he was about ready to graduate. He didn't. Right. He, everyone remembers him as like a high school kid in the comics. He graduated oh. fast. <laughs> like he really wasn't in high school very long. He was yeah. in college a long time. It wasn't in high school very long. Was, yeah, he was in college for like twelve years. So or like something. he was, yeah. he would have been born in the late nineteen forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Spider Man's getting on a bit. Mm. Uh, Nick Fury is just yeah, one of those yeah, unaging badasses. He would be seventy two. Okay, <laughs> Spider Man. Yeah, Nick Fury, unaging mm-hmm. badass, uh, leads a t- uh, a world organization, an international organization of super spies who basically fight bad dudes in dragon costumes. It's it's MI six. He's MI six. It's but it's with, international with, MI six with much more colorful supervillains. With and they hang out on a uh, uh, a flying aircraft carrier. That's right, the helicarrier. The helicarrier, which is a much less impressive name. A helicarrier sounds like something you can buy at KB Toys, <laughs> which I guess you could. I think you can now, actually. Yeah. Well, if they it's had probably, a KB probably, Toys. Probably in, sh- in the shape of a drone now, and you can just sort of remote control it through the air. Do they have KB Toys still? You know what? Probably not. Oh. I'm probably dating myself like crazy by oh, even man. mentioning it. They don't even have Toys R Us. I'm also going to talk about Walton books this episode, so Ooh. sit tight. <laughs> so anyway... Nick Fury ran S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. was the secret organization behind a ton of Marvel comics. He was in everything. Quick, what does S.H.I.E.L.D. stand for? Uh, Supreme Headquarters International... uh, You fail. International Espionage and Law Enforcement Directorate? Wouldn't Wouldn't that be S.H.I.E.L.D. led? Law enforcement. That's a hyphen, it, so it's fine. Oh, I see. Like, Actually, hold just on. Just bending over backwards to get what they can. At Shield has had a series okay. of acronyms uh, <laughs> throughout the years, mm. uh, and let's 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 run through that list just for funsies. Okay. It started off Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Okay. Then it was Strategic Hazard Intervention Espionage Logistics Directorate. Mm-hmm. Then it was the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics and Logistics Division. All right, logistics. They're just organizing stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but basically, they really wanted it to spell Shield. In fact, that's mm. a joke they make in the pilot episode of the TV series Agents of Shield, which was way more successful than what we're about to review. It's on, it's still going, isn't it? Or yeah. was it canceled recently? No, it's still going. All right, still going. It's, it's it, like on season five now or yeah. something. It ke- keeps on steaming along. Yeah, people watch it. It's like Walker Texas Ranger. People don't talk about it a lot, but it's doing fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nick Fury, big important character in the comics. And then when they did this high profile reboot of all the Marvel comics in conjunction this, with all the existing ones, this was ultimate. Yeah, basically, ultimate Marvel universe. Basically, what happened was Marvel realized, I think, in the '90s, that they had all these characters that people really liked and kids are really into, but they had all these this decades of continuity, making it you know it's a little daunting to get started. So they started a new comic book series called Ultimate, and it was Ultimate Spider Man, Ultimate X Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate Team Up. There were a couple others Just in al- alternate dimension where they could essentially start overall. Like the the origin stories are more or less the same. Pretty in much most, in most cases, they, they're but, cleaned yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, uh, Fantastic Four wasn't so much about the space race. Obviously, <laughs> it was about interdimensional travel, right. but basically, it was the same deal. Mm. Um, and in that version, Nick Fury looked like Samuel Jackson. In fact, if memory serves, mm. he was designed after Samuel Jackson. So it was pretty cool that they got him in the they, movies. They cast him in the movies. So we're living in the Ultimate Universe. The Marvel in MCU, the movies. The MCU is basically the Ultimate Universe. So that means eventually we're just going to tilt back to the original. And I'm guessing that's their next big uh, twist when it comes to making movies. They're, like uh, when, when contracts run out and, and stars age out, they're just going to go back to like a different universe. That's my theory about yeah. Infinity War. Like yeah, they all Infinity got War shunted just, into another alternate reality. Right, right. Yeah. The um, ones they wanted to keep, they put into another reality, and they'll keep on those guys. But in any case, uh, getting back to the show we're going to be reviewing, mm. it's the 1990s, and uh, Nick Fury has been a reasonably popular character, and unlike a lot of superhero characters, he's relatively easy to put together. He's basically mm. just a grizzled spy. He's a, he's a spy. He has an eye patch. There's not a lot of... He doesn't have flashy superpowers. Yeah, that, nothing like, nothing inherently expensive except for the helicarrier. And if you take out the helicarrier, no one gives a crap. Right. So right, right. there had actually been attempts to turn Nick Fury into a movie for a while. And in fact, the canon group 
uh, was trying <laughs> in the 1980s, back when they were also trying to make Spider-Man. Um, oh, man. Part of me, oh, God, I wish I'd seen those. You want to see the canon Spider-Man? I want to see the canon Spider-Man I heard was weird. Like, they had no idea what they what he was. Who, who's going to do... It was, um, James Cameron was going to do Spider-Man for a bit. And oh, no, who's going to do the, the canon? They had like a director lined up and a screenplay written. It for was, the canon uh, Spider-Man? It was Joseph Zito. Joseph Zito was going to direct the canon Spider-Man. What do I know Joseph Zito from? He did a lot of really crappy movies. Look up his name and read his filmography. <laughs> Yeah, they were. This was around the time when they thought they were going to break in with a bunch of like mainstream blockbusters that they were saving a lot of money on and were all terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sp- thinking specifically of uh, Masters of the Universe and uh, Superman, uh, Superman 4. Four. Yeah, those were supposed to be the things that brought them over the edge, and those both of those films kind of tanked because uh, they skimped on the budget like crazy on both of those. The and they cr- you re- they realized that they couldn't get away with their low budget garbage in the mainstream. Uh. In addition, okay, so Toby Hooper was considered to develop uh, Spider-Man for canon. Okay, and that would have been weird. The creator of The Outer Limits Ooh. wrote a treatment based on what Golan and Globus thought the character was. Mm-hmm. Uh, a court, he's a corporate scientist. Uh, a corporate scientist subjects a photographer to a radioactive bombardment, transforming him into a hairy, suicidal, eight-armed monster. Ooh. This human tarantula refuses to join the scientist's new master race of mutants, battling a succession of mutations kept in a basement laboratory. This uh, after Wikipedia. That's what I'm quoting. Oh, okay. Um, There's going to be like a giant spider monster. Yeah. Okay. I want to see that. That, that sounds like a great movie. I want to see that. That sounds fantastic. It just, Especially on a canon budget. You know oh that God. spider outfit would have looked terrible. It would have looked like the Giver. Yeah. If they, just, if they just get Screaming Mad George, it might have turned out okay. I, I, golly, would he have done it? Uh, you, you, yes. <laughs> he better. After we throw money at him. Get, well, where is Screaming Mad George today? I wish he were working more. I, I wish he was doing special effects for every movie. Screaming Mad George is one of the He's, greatest monster oh. effects creators Ever and he did the live action version of the Giver, which was based on an anime movie or anime series. He did. Those monsters are phenomenal. <laughs> he did Society. He did Society. He did Freaked. Uh, he did two of the Silent Night Deadly Night movies. Mm, not the good ones. Not the good ones. Well, not the famous ones. Anyway. There, there, there's a lot of weird <laughs> stuff in Silent Night Deadly Night Four with like giant roaches crawling down people's throats and people's hands getting tied in and knots. There's like you know, weird like Christmas body stuff, and it has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> like it, I think it even takes place in November. It has nothing to do. <laughs> With the Christmas season. It's like some weird Wiccan r- ritual this time around. Anyway, back on track. We're all over the place. My today. point is, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 is pretty great. I understood. Uh, so along this process where people kept trying to turn Nick Fury into a movie, uh, along came David Goyer, who would eventually go on to great success writing, writing or co-writing films like uh, The Blade Trilogy, mm. uh, Dark City, Batman Begins, we, Man of Steel. And we were just talking about him last week, or earlier this week, with Blade the Series. Yep. Uh, he is a big, big force in superhero cinema, and he's been attached to a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff. He wrote a script for a Nick Fury movie. Mm-hmm. modeled after the old Jim Steranko comics, which are kind of like the Ur example of Nick Fury. If you want to read some old Nick Fury comics, get the Jim Steranko ones. They're really mm-hmm. fantastically illustrated, and they're just good spy stories. Um, and he wrote, he wrote a script, moved on. They decided to take his somewhat expensive script and do it as a straight-to-TV movie mm-hmm. and as a backdoor pilot. And allegedly, that is where David Goyer went, I'm done! <laughs> and they rewrote it a bunch, and David Goyer has mostly disavowed it, although he is still the solely credited screenwriter, which means that his the structure of it is probably what he wrote. Yeah, like, the of, basic well, plot is probably about right. A, a lot of the dialogue and maybe even whole scenes were added after the fact, but yeah, mm-hmm. he probably wrote this story. Yeah, like the gist mm. of it. Uh, it, yeah, it aired uh, in 1998. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing ads for it, and I missed it, and I was mad. Oh, I saw it live because it was not available for the longest time. It was. It aired on May 26, 1998, mm-hmm. opposite a whole bunch of reruns and the very last episode of Soul Man, a sitcom starring Dan Aykroyd as a priest. Oh, and and that was its third and final episode. Uh, no, I know two seasons. <laughs> I know, Soul Man lasted a while. Um, but yeah, it aired. It aired in late May, 
Mm-hmm. No one gave a crap but me, and I watched it. Um, <laughs> you, it sounds to me like you had a, this, the same experience with Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. as I had with Generation X. Mm. Really looking forward to it. Watched it live, taped it, watched it a bunch. I didn't tape it, but oh, okay. I remembered it vividly. Okay. Uh, it was directed by Rod Hardy, who directed a lot of television, but also several movies. He directed a 1979 vampire movie called Thirst. He directed the Pierce Brosnan Robinson Crusoe. Oh, that's not a bad movie. And he directed a bunch of episodes of a failed sitcom I want to check out just based on the title, Halfway Across the Galaxy and Turn Left. (laughs) Which sounds like Third Rock from the Sun, like three years before Third Rock from the Sun came out. Okay. And it starred David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury, and from that point on it got campy. Because this was while Baywatch was still on the air. Mm-hmm. Now, before you think to yourself, well, there's no way this could have been a backdoor pilot because David Hasselhoff already had one show on the air. That does not stop David Hasselhoff. David, look, David Hasselhoff is a dynamo. He mm. is he is a hardworking man in show business. There was a time when he had two. He had, he had two hour-long television shows on at the same time, Baywatch and, of course, Baywatch, Baywatch Nights. Nights, which lasted two seasons, so we can't do it. And we really want to, though! <laughs> and uh, all this, and this was like... Between Knight Rider and Baywatch, which was only a few years, hmm. like Knight Rider went off the air in like the mid '80s, and Baywatch started up in late '80s. Late '80s, like so yeah, I so think. there was only like maybe three or four years where he didn't have like a regular hour-long show, and he was fostering a really uh, lucrative pop career. Mm-hmm. He was a famous pop singer. He didn't sell records in America, but he's really big in Europe. Yeah, and uh, say what that, you know, that's not an easy gig. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this right now about David Hasselhoff. Mm. I've never met the man. I don't know if he's nice or a jerk. Mm. Don't know. That's not what I'm talking about. His career, I respect it. Oh. He was he he was and is just just a hard working man. He makes series after series after series. Does tons of cameos. Has come to embrace the cheesiness of his image. Yeah, just with yeah, really he's, good humor. Like he's, he's he's goofed on his image almost as much as he's established his image. Yeah, like he showed up in the, the first SpongeBob SquarePants movie as himself. It's <laughs> a good cameo. as as a, a man who is also a boat. Like. He, <laughs> Like he lays on his stomach in the water, and the animated characters climb onto his back, and he just skips across the top of the water, swimming, yep. with his head raised the entire time. He appeared in John Waters' A Dirty Shame as himself, yep. uh, sitting on a plane reading a book called How to Commit Sim- Career Suicide. So you know he has a little bit of a sense of humor about himself. And I respect that, and I respect his career. Mm. We would, all, I know it was like, oh, Baywatch, Baywatch Nights, it's so silly. Did you star in Baywatch and Baywatch Nights? <laughs> Those were hit shows. Did you create indelible characters the way David Hasselhoff did? I were stand, you a sex symbol the way David Hasselhoff is? I stand corrected. <laughs> Baywatch was a hit show. <laughs> Baywatch Nights, not so much. Not so much, but it's fondly remembered right. by those who loved Baywatch. So people point to Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., saying, ha, 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 what a stupid thing because of David Hasselhoff. I'm not going to give you that. No, I'm because not either. Da- and you know what? He gives a fine performance. As this version of Nick Fury. Yeah. And yeah, I want to yeah, make this fine. clear. Mm-hmm. There are multiple versions of most great characters. There, there's a movie about to come out called Into the Spider-Verse, which has six Spider-Men in it. Um, at least. At least. <laughs> I think there might be a few more it's, just branded to the edges. <laughs> and what I love, and actually I love that movie. Mm. I'm gonna, we're not reviewing it right here, but one thing I love about that movie is the way that it accepts and honors all these different versions of these characters from the really great and empowering versions for different types of people. Mm-hmm. To the to satire the, characters. To the satire characters. Like, the really silly ones, like Peter Porker, Spider-Ham, to, like, the kind of the weird off-the-wall ones, like the one where he's in, like, the 1940s and in black and white. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate that, because that's something I've come to, to appreciate over the years. That doesn't mean every version of these characters is good, but I'm kind of glad we have them all. Okay. That's my point. So, like, when I see the that's cool good. Nick Fury that we have in the MCU, great. I like that Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And when we see the cheesy Nick Fury that David Hasselhoff does... He knows he's cheesy. This is like Batman, the 1960s TV series, but with Nick Fury. And I'm not going to inherently mock that. There are things that don't work about this movie slash pilot, but Mm -hmm. the tone is a conscious choice that they made, and I don't think that's inherently bad. And and you know what? It works through and through, and I don't think there are a lot of missteps. I think it plays. (laughs) Think they made a decision? They stuck to it, and it works just fine. All right. Well, let's let's this, let's this thing get, is my jam. <laughs> I know. Well, let's let's get started here. So, this, so the story opens uh-huh. with uh, 
we meet Andrea von Strucker, mm-hmm. played, played by, by Sandra Hess. Overactatron. Okay, so Sandra Hess, you know her from... uh, She was Sonya in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Uh She was in Beastmaster 3. You might Mm. recall her uh, cinematic debut as, quote, Cave Nug, unquote, in Encino Man. Oh, she 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 was was the... The the cave lady. The lady left behind in in the ancient times. And she had had her own movie. I mean, it's a different actor, I think, but they had Encino Woman. It was like a TV movie. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, I saw it. I was not paying attention. It was not good. That's right. She showed up at the end. She showed up at the end. She was like yeah. a de-thawed at the end. Mm-hmm. And then they had a follow-up movie that was about that character, although I don't think Sandra Hess played her. Um, Sandra Hess as Andrea von Strucker. She is the daughter of Baron Strucker, who is the head of Hydra. Mm-hmm. And he's super evil. He's so evil, his blood is an incurable plague. <laughs> like, by design. Like it, yeah, it, that was his idea. He just didn't become so evil that his blood went bad. <laughs> be fun if he did, though. Uh, Sandra Hess. She's having such a great time. It, it's like she's perpetually trapped in an Herbal Essences commercial. <laughs> she's just like, I love killing! Yeah! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Why? Why do you have to kill? Why can't you love instead? I love killing! I do both at the same time! <laughs> she got this outrageous accent. She's having mm. so much fun and mm. she looks it. Like she comes straight out of a Batman mm. uh, 1960s. Like she'd be oh. perfect on that show. <laughs> she'd be perfect. Bur- so she- Burgess Meredith would say, Isn't this a great gig? <laughs> <laughs> so Sandra has at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the pilot, mm. uh, she breaks into a shield facility and steals the corpse of her father because she wants to get the virus out. Well, he, he's being he's on ice for some reason like mm. he's frozen be, like, 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 like he's dead but they're like mummifying him or he's a mummy already but yeah they're keeping him in like a fridge they're keeping him preserved yeah uh and in the course she kills a dude who nick fury liked mm-hmm. not his brother or nothing just just, just a guy like just, just a guy and his last words were nick and as andrea uh, sandra has just like ah your last words nick we miss you. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but that's about right. Cut to what, the, what does Nick mean? I don't know. My dad just thought of it one day while he was shaving. Nice. Cut to the Yukon, where Nick Fury has is is, having his Ethan Hunt moment. Okay, so like you know, in the in the Mission Impossible <laughs> movies, they're like usually like catch Ethan Hunt in the middle of like rock climbing or whatever. He's he's doing something just extracurricular. Yeah, independent from the story, where he gets the little. The mission should he choose to accept it. I think he might have been doing that once, but whatever. It seems like the sort of thing that's a trope. They did. I think they did in the first three, at the very least. Mm, I think it was just the first one. Anyway, first. I think it was in the second one. And the second one was the rock climbing. Yeah, where he got the the rocket sunglasses. Explode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, he's terrible. And he chucks these wraparound shades off a cliff, and they explode. What if he got distracted and didn't take them off in time? Because such a head explodes stupid on a movie. <laughs> uh. Nick Fury mm. is is retired from Shield, and he's living in the Yukon. And we see that he is living in a cave with no stuff in it. And his and he's amusing himself by hitting things with a hammer. Why? No reason. Is he mining? No. He's is- just hitting things with a giant hammer. That's it. Uh- Why? David Hasselhoff wanted to show off his guns. Mm. That's the only thing I could think about. That's the only thing he's got. He and was, you know what? Fine. He's mining for vibranium. <laughs> vibranium isn't in the Yukon, you dumbass. <laughs> oh, sorry. He is met in the Yukon mm. by... By female lead. Contessa Valentino de Allegro Fontaine. Yeah, Contessa Fontaine. But Contessa Valentina de Allegro Fontaine. Excuse me. She didn't go to Contessa Valentina de Allegro school just to be called <laughs> Contessa Valentina. <laughs> She's played by Lisa Rinna from Melrose Place in mm. Days of Our Lives. She I is, remember her from Melrose Place. She is bringing Nick Fury back into the fold. She, she's the one who gets to give all the exposition. Yeah. Like, she ex- explain the mission, explain what people are doing from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's a thankless role. It's a very thankless role. And she gets to be his love interest in the past. So, like, will they or won't they? Uh, no, they won't. Not, not in this episode. <laughs> uh, they bring him back. To shield to the helicarrier. When I love it, it's like this, we establish they put make it a helicarrier. Mm. It's like flying around, and then we I, go inside, and it's clearly abandoned warehouse. 
you look, they had to shoot somewhere. It's fine. <laughs> looks a little cheap. I'm okay with that. That's fine. And the exteriors, it, it looks just like a like a regular seafaring aircraft carrier, but it has like four gigantic jet engines jutting out of the bottom. Which is pretty much what the helicarrier used to yeah, look like. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's met there by his old pal Dum Dum Dugan, played by the great Gary Chalk. Forgettable character. And it's not much. Yeah. Again, he's another one where he's mostly just he, he giving be, exposition. But well, Gary under- Chalk is great. Come on. I understand that Nick Fury, unlike a lot of superheroes, is not a free agent. He in, in the comics, he's a he- the head of Shield, right? Yeah. Or, or at least he's a higher up within Shield, mm-hmm. and he is always working with a battery of agents. Hence, when they made a TV show about this guy, they just got rid of him and made it about the agents. Um, And they're, like, part CIA, but also black ops and combination of all kinds of shadowy government conspiracies. But I appreciate that they tried to at least, even though they're not really interesting characters, give him other people he can talk to. Yeah. So you got uh, Dum Dum Dugan, who's from Mm. the comics, who's in the movies. Um, He's playing played by Gary Chalk, character actor who Mm. you'd recognize. He also does a lot of voiceover work. He was King Hippo and Captain N in the N Squad. It was King Hippo? He was King Hippo and then Captain and the Game Master. That's nice. what it was. Um, let's see. We've got uh, uh, a psychic played by Tracy Waterhouse. She, uh, uh, yeah, she has like a chip in her brain that enhances her brain powers. And does she have her... a chip? I thought she was just psychic. Did they say no, she they, they said something about like she was like they put something in her brain to make yeah. her psychic. And like what she'll do and is when they're training each... to be a, a psychic agent. What they do when they introduce her to people is like, mm. oh, hey, Nick, and this is. Tracy Waterhouse, she's playing the psychic in our show. And Tracy Waterhouse just like puts her hands mm. up and she says, Oh, you're thinking about your friend who died. And mm. if you're like, Yeah, I was. They, 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 <laughs> it's kind of rude. They satirize that in, in uh, Team America World Police. <laughs> and she's also psychic. I sense you're feeling a little disoriented. <laughs> um, and there's also a British guy, Alexander Pierce, who's like the young rookie. And he would go on to be played by Robert Redford. Oh, that was the Robert Redford character? That was the same character. Yeah, same guy. (laughs) Except now he's evil and running Hydra. Whatever. That's like the only... Can you imagine, like, your claim to fame is eventually Robert Redford played my character better? (laughs) (laughs) Differently. Yeah. Different version. This is alternate universe. I played the right version. This is the correct version of Nick Fury. Apologies. That that garbage in the movies, you can just disregard all that. And then there's a scientist uh, played by the great Ron Canada, Mm. uh, who has invented a whole bunch of cool stuff for Nick Fury, like a gun that only fires if he pulls the trigger, and a robot Nick Fury who will be important later. Mm-hmm. And and to their credit, they make a really good rubber torso of David Hasselhoff. Yeah, like they're 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 shown putting it together, and this is pre CGI, so you can't do like really fancy things with, like you can't put sensors on his face and make it look like you're peeling his face off. They they had to make like an actual rubber dummy, like take a, a rubber mold off of his face. I'm it looks sure. like a dummy, but it looks like David Hasselhoff. I'm pretty sure in the close up, it is David Hasselhoff, like the extreme close well, up. Well, like then the, they do a split screen thing, yeah. yeah. Where they have an ex- and it's a little out of focus, but yeah, I think it works fine. I like the rubber dummy. I like the rubber. Um, so they find out. Okay, so they brought Nick Fury back. He's going to avenge the death of his friend, and they're going to do that by tracking down Artem Zola, also from the comics, played by Toby Jones in the movies. And uh, he has been—he did his time and is now just off in Germany. Mm-hmm. So they kidnap him, and yep. they're going to put a psychic in his brain just to try to get all the stuff out about Baron von Strucker. Which even like Arnim Zola is like, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> this, is, this is bad. And Nick Fury is just like, I don't care. I'm David Hasselhoff. Yeah. Well, this version of Nick Fury is is like just a really grizzled hard ass yeah. who who don't take no guff from anybody. He's you know, he's somewhere on a matrix with John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. He's just, he, well, that's, that's really, really reckless, kind of hateful, no patience for these kids. But he's played by David Hasselhoff. So mm. although David Hasselhoff so, has yeah. the grizzle, he's actually, he can't turn off the, the idea that he's playing a part. And I kind of love that well, because you know yeah, he's more likable than say, this. I was going to say that because he's such a char- like naturally charming guy. It makes us like him, even if he does really reckless, stupid things. Yeah. And to his credit, David Hasselhoff looks the part. Mm-hmm. Like, he looks exactly like Nick Fury looked like in the comics. Given like, the eye patch and the hair and yeah. the outfit, yeah. Chomping on a cigar and everything. He quits by the end of the pilot because it's the 90s, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, good for him. So, they, yeah, they, they get Arm Zola, they try to get in his brain, and then it turns out that the Interpol agent that was there, they were teaming up with is actually Andrea Strucker in disguise. 
and she kisses Nick Fury, and it's a kiss of death, and he's it's going to po- die. A, she has a poison on her lips, just like poison ivy. And uh, Nick Fury has only so-and-so amount of time to I think it's save 40, the world. 48 hours or something before yeah. he gets too sick to function. And uh, so he does. Mm-hmm. There's, there's more to it than that, but that's well, kind of the gist. There's, there's you know, a big chase locating her. There's a big uh, showdown. You know, it's, it's, Is she dead? Isn't she dead? There's a wonderful uh, fakey looking church set where they have this big showdown and there's yeah. really sparky explosions and the bad guy ends up escaping down a tube. Yeah. You know this stuff. You kind of do. Yeah. So we have this ongoing subplot with like the guy who I thought Nick Fury ran shield, but I guess there's a guy who's Nick Fury's boss. Who's mm-hmm. a total a-hole. And then like another version of him shows up and Nick Fury shoots the bad one. <laughs> and then he's like, how did you know that, that was the that was the evil version of me? And if you like, I guessed, mm. which is kind of funny. And then like the evil version of his boss opens his mouth and like projects a hologram like the bad guy in Last Starfighter, this <laughs> rotating hologram head. And it's just Andrea Hassett. He's just like, I am overacting. Look at me. I need a billion dollars or I'll release a virus in Manhattan. Mm. <laughs> It's a good thing we found that message. I know, <laughs> Otherwise right? Otherwise, we wouldn't know what was going on. Yeah. Makes you wonder why they, they could have just sent that message. Yeah, we didn't need just, the decoy guy to do that. Just put a stamp on it. Yeah. Nail it. Problem solved. <sighs> it's hard to get on that helicarrier, though. No, just, do you think, do you think the, the post office guy has, like, a Harrier jet? Well, they're, they're a government organization, right? Yeah. probably get mail real fast. Probably have mail, like, three times a day. Yeah. The wheel had figured a way to do that electronically. That'd really save us some time. Uh, m- maybe, but I think they just have like a little little flying mail buggy <laughs> goes up to the helicarrier heli- with a big sack. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody slings over their back. It's the hella postal. Nick, Nick Fury, you got your fan letters again. Nice. Um, yeah, they go off to fight Andreas Strucker. There's a big action sequence, which is a whole lot of nothing. Like a whole bunch of stuff happens, and yet nothing happens. Like no- it's kind of amazing. Like there, how much? There's t- not a, not I thought the show was. I thought it was over. Yeah, and then there's like a half hour left, and I'm like, "How are you padding this out?" They're padding it out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit where she, they're frisking Nick Fury, and she takes away his eye patch because it's got like an electronic. It's got a key underneath it. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, I gotcha," and he's like, "Oh, I was wondering who that was." <laughs> And then uh, when they lock him up, he pulls out his glass eye, and that's an explosive, and he has it on at all times. (laughs) And I'm like... Clever. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. Makes popsicle jokes about her dad, and then he says, get it? Popsicle! Pop. Because he's, he's your pop, and he's a sickle. I don't, I don't know why Nick Fury had to, like... Is he, like... Does he lack confidence in his humor that he needed to say, get it? Like, I wonder if, like, did we just find the chink in his armor? Like, I think he says, get it just to rub it in. Mm. It's like, and and also you have bad taste in clothes. Get it? Because you have bad taste in clothes. You suck. Get it? Just rubbing it in. I do get it, Nick. Mm. I do get it. I don't want it, but I get it. Mm. Anyway, they stop the thingy, and then Andrea von Strucker gets away with her dad, who wakes up in the final scene, Mm. and he's just like, by the way, I'm awake and evil. And... And together we will rule the world. <laughs> lead to series. Crash and burn. <laughs> not lead did not lead to series. It's actually like it's interesting. As much as this movie kind of looms over Marvel a little bit, because mm-hmm. it, it came out like within months of Blade. Yeah. Uh it was came out this real sweet spot where people were actually really interested. Um it's kind of nothing. Like it doesn't really make a huge impression. Like you might have mm-hmm. noticed that we kind of we kind of breeze past the second half of the pilot because there's nothing to talk about. There's not a lot in the pilot. It, it We have to sort of rely on sort of the atmosphere and the tone it was going for. And this was still the 1990s when it was a little bit more acceptable to have a, like a slightly sillier tone. Yeah, Hercules like, the Legendary Journeys was a hit in the 90s. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah, was like kind a, of that vibe. We were still going off of uh, a really stylized version of superheroes. We talked about this with Generation X, which mm. came out two years before. How they... They filmed everything with like green gels and ma- tried to make everything look kind of unreal mm-hmm. because it's a stylized universe of stylized superheroes. This is uh, the influence Tim Burton had, I think, over a lot of superhero narratives. And just to just and, to clarify, what Tim mm. Burton did more than anything else was he changed the world to fit the character, not the other way around. Right. So Batman's a guy who would dress like a bat. Tim Burton, instead of saying, okay, how do we make that realistic? Tim Burton said, okay, what kind of world would he live in where that's normal? Yeah, yeah. So 
you look at Batman and everything's super stylistic. It looks really like a movie. Mm, it looks cool, like, yeah, it look, but it looks very unusual and surreal. Mm. And that was kind of the pervasive pulp hero atmosphere mm. for okay. everything from... But even though the aesthetic changed, the approach of changing the aesthetic of the whole world was the approach until maybe Sam Raimi. I would Ironically s- enough, Sam Raimi. No, I would, I would, I would say it was Blade and X Men. I think they both. No, 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 no. Those are stylized universes. They're stylized sure, universes. X Men. They're stylized universes, yeah. but they're just standard '90s style. There's really nothing mm. about them in particular. Like, remember how they changed the X Men costumes so they were just black leather? Yeah, that was standard '90s style. Like the mm. Matrix was coming out around the same time. Like that was not like the world didn't shift to that. They were just doing mm. what was cool at the time. They, they changed a lot of the tech. It was photographed to be really sort of steely. It was the near future. They they were yeah. changing the worlds to fit the X Men. It didn't take place in reality. Is my point? Well, I would argue. And that, I think I would I argue think... that Spider Man did the same thing, though. I mean, you mm. look at how Sam Raimi filmed that movie. They actually, like, moved buildings closer together in New York so that New York was a tall, even Mm. taller landscape just so that it would fit this mold. I mean, look at how broad the Daily Bugle is. Mm. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies, I think, are also one step removed from reality. They're recognizable as reality because there's an emotional earnestness to it. But no, if if we're going to be real nitpickers about this, Mm. I would say we're probably looking at Batman Begins. Yeah, that that's when. Uh, yeah, I guess that was right about when the approach changed, where they're trying to make superheroes as realistic as possible. I would say so. And that wasn't until two thousand five. Mm-hmm. So we uh, had a little bit more time, and I think uh, yeah. I think so, it was fading out. I think it was mm. getting less bizarre. Like if you compare the approach to Dick Tracy mm. to the approach to uh, Ghost Rider. Well, yeah, <laughs> but like, yeah, because like, there's those Dick Tracy is mm. a three panel comic strip. Oh, yeah, the like, characters are on these bright colors, and yeah, the the, the buildings look flat by per- on purpose. Yeah, and uh, then we just have eh, the world's a little weird. Mm. Cool. All right, and, and and what I find really curious is that was the approach for the Avengers films too. Mm. It's like Iron Man is very much in the real world, and they're trying to make it as those things as realistic as, as possible, following the Batman Begins mold. And now, you know, a decade later. We're like flying off in space with talking raccoons. Like, can, can we just make animated films now? Well, I th- what I like about that with the MCU, I think the MCU mm. did a good job with that because, yeah, the original wave of MCU movies were either set in the real world, but there's a thing, mm. or in the case of Cats in America, the first Avenger, um, it was set in this sort of idealized version of the past where World War II was a little easier, <laughs> you know, a little bit more, a little bit more palpable to mm. action blockbuster. Um, but yeah, no, it was basically just for the people living in the world of the MCU who weren't superheroes. Everything was basically normal. And then this shit happened. And within 10 years, all kinds of crazy stuff is happening all the time. And like, you're not even <laughs> sure when the shit. It's like when Trump got elected. It's like everything was fine. Everything was more or less normal. Like, oh, wait a minute, and now, what, wait what, a minute. What's going on? What, what, what happened? How did this happen? I, I can't Jeez. even keep up with the news. Everything's weird all the time. Why are there blood trees in the Christmas White House? <laughs> what's going on? Like, you just. It, it, my point is that it just. Everything got crazy. Hmm. But there's a focal point. Mm. It started for most people when Iron Man put on that suit. Okay. There's a precedent for it. Uh, but yeah, for most people, it started with Iron Man. And I kind of mm. like that. It started off as real world, but until now, it is just absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how the Marvel, I, the Marvel Universe and the comics worked as well. There was a real world, but now there's a Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. Mm. And then everything went fucking nuts. <laughs> and there's no realism at all. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of odd that people are still down on something as relatively restrained as Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. People like their superheroes taken seriously. They do. Mm. They'll like them flip and funny sometimes, but they want that emotional right, earnestness. Right, right now, that's what people want. So, I, think, yeah. I think what we've discovered is that the ones that have that emotional earnestness, by and large, are the ones that are the most successful. Mm. The original Superman movies, like the first two, okay. which were very, you know, very mm. honest, very much about like, oh, can I ever love a mortal? <laughs> Those were the hits. Yeah. You know, not, not so much the cartoony third and fourth ones. Um, Tim Burton's Batman movies had that emotional heft that made them bigger than the Adam West one ever was. And although Batman Forever was a huge hit, once they followed that to its logical conclusion, Batman and Robin you're was back, a joke you're, again. You're and, back to 1966. And yeah. that was rejected. I think the ones that are the most successful are the ones that you don't have to feel like 
kind of guilty for watching them. Like you're just watching some silly thing. Mm. You can say to yourself, okay, yeah, okay, it's silly. But Star Lord loves his mom, man. Like that's the, you can latch on to that. You can latch on to that, and you yeah. don't have that in Nick Fury: Agent yeah. of Shield. There's there's loss, but it's nothing. They move on really, really fast. Yeah. And this is just a a frolic. And I think there's a place for that. Yeah, for sure. But I don't think it's the mainstream. Uh, uh, I don't think it's the mainstream place. I think we're at mm. the the well, not quirky right. cult place. Yeah, certainly. Well, certainly not now. I think there was a place for this in the '90s, even though it was roundly rejected because the people didn't have anything to compare it to. I think people were put off by the casting of David Hasselhoff. Period. Mm-hmm. I think it automatically you knew it, it wasn't going to be serious, even though he was playing. No, it doesn't matter if you cast somebody else who's not playing it seriously. People would still have taken it a little bit more easily. I think it's not the camp that's do, uh, doing this in. I think it was just the cultural place of that particular actor at that time. Well, I think people that's... didn't like him. He was a, a figure of mockery, and we weren't able to sort of take him seriously as an actor, even though his performance is fine and he's doing exactly the job that's asked of him. And I think the problem is the job that is asked of him. And mm. I think I think the issue is that. Again, in the 90s, there weren't a lot of successful Marvel superhero stories. We'd had the Incredible Hulk and a whole bunch of failures. Mm. That's what we had. So all of a sudden, there's going to be another Marvel thing, and it's going to be silly again. Mm. And people wanted some Marvel stuff taken as seriously as Superman and Batman. People wanted a few of those. And all of a sudden, we're going to get Nick Fury, and it's going to be jokey. And I think a lot of people just weren't interested because of that. It's like when they tried to do... Before they did the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie, which was a bomb. Mm. But before they even did that, they had pitched a version of the Green Lantern, which would have starred Jack Black as a bong-smoking Green Lantern. He mm. like uses Green Lantern ring to make like marijuana paraphernalia and do mm. silly stuff. Okay. And the fan outcry when they announced that was just like, we do not want that. That's stupid, and it's a waste of the character and a waste of your time. Mm. Now, at the time, we didn't realize that our only option was the Ryan Reynolds version. <laughs> and if they had said, okay, but we're going to have a shitty Ryan Reynolds version or maybe a kind of funny Jack Black one, mm. we might have picked Jack Black if we had known that those were the two options. But we didn't. We still thought maybe they could make it into a good movie, and they're still trying, so maybe they will someday. But at the time, I, I think- just knowing that the, just knowing that the studio wasn't, taking this character seriously mm. was such a red flag that I think a lot of fans just weren't interested off the bat. Well, you're talking about a very tiny segment of their intended audience, the people who are already fans of Nick Fury. Granted. Um, the, you know, this came out when, when they were trying to get a wider uh, base of people, and they were trying to tell pretty much a comic book version of the Hercules and Xena series. And I think as that, this works perfectly. I think perfectly. it's perfectly. I okay. think I think uh, apart from where it drags, you know, in the third act, of course. Yeah, but, it's it's just. But not I, I think well. I think the tone is very good. I think the characters all play, and I think this could have made a pretty good series if you considered, if you put it next to things like Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, which had moments of earnestness, but were for the most part a little bit slapsticky. Mm-hmm. Because they came out of the mind of of Sam Raimi. They were comic adventure stories. And I would love to see a comic adventure superhero story. And if you're going to use a character, why not Nick Fury? Nick Fury's kind of a a comically broad badass anyway. Mm. We were at a point where James Bond was still kind of wrestling with his usefulness. I mean, Goldeneye was really good about addressing it, but then they kept on moving forward. And, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies was very good, but... World's not enough, and then we get to die another day. And, with an and invisible it's, car. It's like, what are we doing with James Bond? We don't need him anymore. Yeah. And I think, a, like, which a badass... We, which is why they started taking him seriously again, and then people cared. But, well, well, enough time had passed that they, they could do that. My point is, if you had tried to do that Daniel Craig thing in the mid-90s, wouldn't have played. Nobody would have cared. Nobody would have watched James Bond. It probably would have gone over about the same way the Timothy Dalton ones did, which yeah, was, yeah. like, they have their fans, but they're not considered mm, They're not great the great Bond ones. Films. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think having uh, that kind of superhero story at that particular time with a character that not a lot of people really cared about, he didn't have a big, a a lot of cultural clout, that if you're going to take any character, take Nick Fury, make him into a broad spy, because spies are useless in the late 90s, the Cold War has long been over, we don't Mm -hmm. care about spy stuff anymore, we have to find new reasons to give spies stories, and we, the only reasons we can come up with are these big, broad, silly conspiracies, because we're not at war with anybody right now. 
spies were useless in the late 90s. No, you're right. You're not and, you're I, and they were right. and they were totally ripe for this type of treatment. And I mm-hmm. think this was the perfect time to do it. I think they did it right and I think it was just the casting, just the casting that put people off. And it's kind of a shame because mm-hmm. you're right, it is cute. Yeah. And I think I think when you're not in the 2-hour um framework. Mm. The, again, like the first 45 minutes of this would have been a, a fine pilot episode yeah. unto itself. Yeah, yeah. It just it just it burns just right through. That, it's a lot that of really fun. great ending where the, the the villains get to cackle a lot. Yeah, more. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 a perfectly entertaining mm. first half. Second half, mm. not so much. But it's basically just mm. a bunch of business. It's just oh, we have to stop her now. Great, mm. I don't care. Like you will. <laughs> like I don't think you won't. So we're fine. <clears throat> but yeah, no. Like you could do this. And the thing is, yeah, if you focused only on the broader, kookier areas mm. of the Marvel Universe, like AIM, Advanced Idea Mechanics, back when they had those like yellow jumpsuits and big square heads, <laughs> you know, you could have had those guys in there, had mm. Baron Zemo with his bright pink outfit, like just have the fun. Uh-huh. You could have done it. And again, I think there's a place for that. Mm. And it's a shame. I honestly think that this didn't go to series and develop that a little bit more, at least have a season. Yeah. At least a proper season of this mm. would have been a lot of fun, I think. Um, so, yeah, I'm calling it. Mm. Cancel too soon. Cancel too soon, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's I, amazing. I, I, hope it's I, cute. I, I hope I brought you around a little bit because yeah. uh, I, I really dug it. It's. And you hadn't and seen this one. I, I hadn't seen this one. And it, then I do admit a big deal of this is my nostalgia buttons. The, this type of TV show, this type of fantasy TV making is really in keeping with the kind of stuff I was watching at the time. It does feel like a slicker version of Mantis. <laughs> uh, you know, with that kind of broad kid appeal, but just enough hefty drama that as a kid, I can feel like it's a real show. There's so many... I think, you know, you talked about how Marvel was not successful in the late 90s. They were. It was just all in animation. No, no. they. You're right. In animation, yeah. they were doing okay. In comics, they were actually going to bankruptcy. Mm. But Well, yeah. Uh, you know... I think a lot of criticism of pre-existing characters or intellectual properties, whatever mm. you want to call them, um, often it comes from, that's not my version of that. Yeah. Like, my yeah. James Bond wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. My James Bond would never be a woman. My James right. Bond would never be David Hasselhoff. Mm-hmm. My Nick Fury would never be David Hasselhoff. You know what I mean. Like my, yeah. my Spider-Man would never do that. Right. Um, and again, watching your Spider-Verse put a sharp clarity Everybody gets one. Everybody yeah. gets one. You can uh, do it. And there's, there are things you can do that can completely betray the character. But as long as you get the gist of it right, mm. you can change the tone. You can make it sillier. You can make it more serious. And you can have that, both. At, and it's okay. Look look at uh, Teen Titans. There was like an anime-inspired one that had like some goofy moments, but was more or less a straight show. Straight action adventure show. Yeah, Young Justice is what you're thinking of, I think, mostly. No, Teen Titans. Well, and Young then they Justice did, was also Teen Titans. And then they did Teen Titans Go, which was like a, a really broad slapstick version of those same characters. Mm-hmm. And, and then they had both, Young Justice, both, which was the same thing with fans. a different title. Okay. Oh, it's the same basic premise. Yeah, same characters. Oh, okay. I, 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 I assure I've, no, I've never heard of Young Justice. Young Justice is really good. All right. Young Justice is a real. It's, it's like Justice League Unlimited, but with the teen heroes. Okay. It's like it's that level of quality. Like okay. it's really, really good. Um, but yeah, you can have all. You mm. can have all. That's great. So, um, yeah, mm. that Nick, Nick, Nick Fury, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield would have made a fine fun TV show that I definitely would have watched. It is available on DVD, or at least it came out in 2008 as a Best Buy exclusive. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Uh, mm. Disney probably completely has the rights now that they've now that they've bought Fox. Mm. Um, there might have been a thing where it's mm. like, well, we own Nick Fury, but we own Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV movie. What do we do? Mm. Uh, hopefully it'll be on their streaming service someday or whatever. You know what, you know what they're going to do? Mm. Because uh, Samuel L. Jackson died. They'll just bring David Hasselhoff in from an alternate universe. David Hasselhoff okay. would do it in a heartbeat. All right, all right, all right. All if right. that's what happens in, mm-hmm. in Avengers 4, uh-huh. you have my money. <laughs> I will pay to see that twice. Just for the, ha- just for yeah. the Hoff in there. That's yeah. pretty sweet you, shit. You put the Hoff in there and, you know, yeah. and, and you know, David Hasselhoff is, is in his 60s now. So he's probably, you know, just a, a gri- I guess he's about the same age as Samuel L. Jackson. So mm-hmm. he can play the character just as well. How old is David Hasselhoff? Is he only in the 60s? He was born in 1952. So oh, he's, wow. He's getting up there, but he can do it. He could totally do it. Yeah. Ah, uh, the Hoff. I mean, I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't do backflips or anything, but Samuel L. Jackson wasn't doing that anyway. That needs so, to do yeah. shit. Just stand there and say cool stuff. <laughs> Wear an eye patch. You're done. Mm-hmm. I'm easy. 
Um, but give him the cigar. That's my concession. He has to have the cigar. He has to have the cigar back. In this version, he he, he took up cigars again. No, but but it's, 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 a, it's super tech Wakandan cigars that aren't bad for you. It's a chocolate cigar. <laughs> he, just, he has a cigar, just like... Crunch, 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 crunch. Tony Stark says, could you not do that while I'm talking to you? So that is it for Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and it is not it for the Marvel's Month of Marvels, even though it's a marvelous, slightly longer than a month of Marvels. Well, we, we took on more than, uh, than we would have otherwise, but you guys mm-hmm. uh, demanded it, so we did it. So we're going to come back in a couple of days with Silver Surfer, an animated series that is very closely based on not just the comics, but the art style of Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. to the extent that it really does look like a Jack Kirby story in motion. And I'm not talking about those 60s ones where they were barely animated, just recreating the panels, mm. although those are fun too. Yeah. This is like this weird 2D animation slash CGI hybrid, and it looks like the Silver Surfer comics mm. come to life. Now, is that a good thing or not? I will tell you in the next episode. But it's an interesting experiment, and I'm glad we got to cover it. We also still have uh, our Marvelous Month of Marvel's TV movie. That's right. uh, Which is also a little behind, uh, where we'll be talking about two TV movies. So we've taken on a heck of a lot this month. And if you're you're a Patreon subscriber, mm -hmm. patreon.com slash cancel too soon, from the $5 tier and up, uh, again, you get to vote for an episode every month, and Mm -hmm. you get the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie, and this time we will be reviewing two live-action Captain America movies from the 1970s. Mm. Starring Red, Red Brown. Brown. Yeah. <laughs> what MST3K episode do you know him from? Oh, he was in Space Mutiny, right? Space yeah. Mutiny. <laughs> Clutch hard pants. <laughs> He's the guy they were in that famous bit in bulk, MST3K. Bulk, bulk beef gristle or whatever the names were. There's a famous bit where they come up with different tough guy names for Red Brown. <laughs> um Space Mutiny is considered mm. one of the worst movies that MST3K has ever reviewed. Oh, it's not even close. I'm just saying, this is something of its reputation. Mm. It's way better than live-action Captain America movies. Well, at least something way ha- better. At least something happens in Space Mutiny. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that on the on the yeah. show. So, everybody, thank you very very much for listening. Uh, if you want to email us, you have suggestions, memories you want to share, uh, check on check us out at cancel too soon at gmail mm-hmm. uh, We will either answer your letter in a future episode, or we'll do another letters episode. Mm-hmm. And if you want to listen to the letters episode, head on over to patreon.com slash cancel too soon. That episode is free for all. Yeah, it's it's everybody who wrote in. Uh, we, we kept it off of the main feed just for clarity's sake, but you mm-hmm. can, anyone can listen to it. Yeah, and just head on, on over. Go it's exploring. on the Patreon page. There's yeah, some fun for, stuff over o- Open to the public. Um, anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us in this marvelous month of Marvels. It will continue. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>